Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR Show, where we save you time by providing you the too-long-didn't-read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube with video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR Show. This is your weekly recap for May 15th, 2022 to May 21st, 2022. Make sure that you do hit that thumbs up to like this if you're watching it on YouTube. And make sure that you subscribe if you're watching this or rather listening to this on any of the podcasting platforms like iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you might be listening to it. Starting out, the very first article that we had from this week was Microsoft fixes new Pettit uh, Petit Podem Windows NTLM relay attack vector. So during the May 2022 Patch Tuesday, Microsoft, uh, they released a security update for an actively exploited NTLM relay attack labeled a Windows LSA spoofing vulnerability. This is CVE 2022-26925. It says that an unauthenticated attacker could call a method on the LSARP-C interface and coerce the domain controller to authenticate to the attacker using NTLM. The security update detects uh, anonymous connection attempts in the LSARP-C and disallows it. Now, an NTLM uh, relay attack allows threat actors to force devices, even domain controllers, to authenticate against malicious servers that they control. And once a device authenticates, that malicious server can impersonate the devices and gain all of its privileges. Now, uh, these attacks are really significant because anytime you're dealing with you know, domain controllers or servers or the domain in general, especially in a Windows environment, and you can do things like impersonating devices and you know inherit those permissions that that device or even that user has that's a real serious thing because you know especially with sensitive or critical infrastructure where it has elevated privileges you can take over the domain or do a lot of nasty stuff with you know regards to the domain controller and the active directory and all that stuff uh, let's see here the next article we have uh, D-Wave deploys first U.S.-based advantage quantum system. Now, we're seeing a lot of articles with quantum computing and quantum systems, and basically, you know, it's extreme power as far as uh, just processing, right? Uh, but quantum computing outfit D-Wave Systems has announced the availability of an advantage quantum computer accessible via the cloud, but physically located in the U.S., a key move for selling quantum services to American customers. Now, especially in the United States and even in places like Europe, right, there are very strict requirements on where data can go, especially if you're dealing with certain customers or certain you know, organizations. And you have to really make sure that you have that data secure and a lot of times you don't want it sitting in some data center or server in some other country because then laws apply to that data. So if you're in, let's say, some country in, I don't know, Europe or something like that, right, where there's a different law and your organization is based in the United States, well, let's say the uh, authorities or the government there wants to seize that data. Well, if the laws allow that, that's a serious issue. 
So this is a very interesting thing. This is very similar to what uh, you can do with AWS and a lot of these cloud providers is you can make sure that your data stays in data centers or in regions that are, you know, the only ones that you approve. So it's where your country, uh, where your company is operating. It says the new system is based on uh, based at the University of Southern California as part of the USC Lockheed Martin Quantum Computing Center hosted at USC's Information Sciences Institute, a factor that may encourage U.S. organizations interested in evaluating quantum computing that are likely to want the assurance of accessing facilities based in the same country. And again, this goes back to just wanting the data in the same country because then you have the same laws or, you know, typically very similar laws, right? Even if you're different states within the United States, you might have some different kind of laws and things that exist, but generally it's pretty much the same idea across the board, right? There's not going to be something that is so drastically different in most cases that, um, you know, that it would warrant trying to get it into a, a different state or a different country. Uh, ransomware gang threatens to overthrow new Costa Rica government, raises demand to $20 million. The ransomware group behind an attack on several Costa Rican government ministries levied several violent warnings against the country this weekend, uh, so last weekend, raising the ransom demand to $20 million and threatening to overthrow the government of the new president, Rodrigo Chavez. Now, in two messages posted on the leaked site on Saturday, so last Saturday, the Conti ransomware group, which has already leaked 97% of the 670 gigabytes of data that they stole, and we covered this in a previous episode, so last week, but they claimed the U.S. government was sacrificing Costa Rica and that the country's government should pay the decryption keys for the decryption keys to unlock their systems. Now... This is a serious issue, right? Um, what happened basically originally was Costa Rica, they had a ransomware attack and they refused to pay the uh, $10 million ransomware that the Conti group was you know, demanding, that was extorting them for. And uh, now the United States actually put a $10 million bounty on finding out information about the, uh, the Conti group and they also added an additional incentive if you can help them actually arrest them, right? So uh, I believe it was a $5 million incentive. So you could get 15 million. And now the Conti group is demanding 20 million and it just keep going. It's going up and up and up, right? Like who's gonna win here? But, you know, again, this is an interesting thing. It's always gonna be an interesting debate, you know, going into the future is do you pay these ransoms? You know, maybe you do, maybe you don't. There are companies that have paid ransoms. There's also, uh, you know, successfully, and there's also companies that have paid ransoms or attempted to buy off these attackers, and it's, you know, not really gone as well as they had hoped. So um, this is going to be something that I think is going to continue to play out for a little bit more, and we'll kind of see, you know, what happens really out of that. But again, 97%, right? So what's the last 3%? That's always the interesting thing, right? What are they holding back? Uh, hackers can steal your Tesla Model 3 or Y using new Bluetooth attack. Now, this is really interesting, and you should definitely check out this article because there is a video that kind of 
Uh, it walks you through an example, a proof of concept of this attack. But security researchers at the NCC group have developed a tool to carry out a Bluetooth low energy, a BLE, relay attack that bypasses all existing protections to authenticate on target devices. In this type of relay attack, an adversary intercepts and can manipulate the communication between two parties, so maybe like your fob and the car, and uh, it places the attacker in the middle of the two ends of the communication, allowing them to relay the signal as if they were standing right at the car, right? So, you know, key fob can be in a completely different spot than the car. There's this relay attack that happens, and then the attacker can be right at the car and open up the door and do all kinds of stuff with your car, steal your car, right? Uh, iPhones vulnerable to attack even when turned off. Wireless Bluetooth uh, features Bluetooth, NFC, and UWB stay on even when the device is powered down, which could allow attackers to preload, uh, execute preloaded malware. Now, this has always been kind of an interesting um, topic, and it's not necessarily brand new that you can do some things with these devices like cell phones or smartphones when the device is off, when it you know, appears to be off. Um, and this you know, really goes back to several years ago. Um, a lot of this debate kind of came up. And then obviously there's a lot of debate now with uh, the microphones as well and being able to enable those microphones. But these features, which have access to the iPhone secure element, the SE, which stores sensitive info stay on even when modern iPhones are powered down. This makes it possible to load malware onto a Bluetooth chip that's executed while the, the phone is off. And uh, this was documented in a research paper called Evil Never Sleeps when wireless malware stays on after turning off the iPhone. By compromising these wireless devices uh, features, attackers can then go on to access secure info such as a user's credit card data banking details, or even digital car keys on the device, right? So if you can have the phone off, but then you can still access things on there, you know, that that's a pretty serious concern, right? Especially if you can't even tell that the phone is on, right? Um, there was a malware incident recently, uh, a couple weeks ago in an episode that we covered, where um, basically the screen would dim down completely, so it would look off, and... You know, in the background, attackers were doing things on the phones. So, you know, with mobile devices in general, there's a lot of interesting attacks that are still coming up. And I think there's going to be a lot more that are going to continue to come up. But this is an interesting one because I don't know as a user, you know, how do you really protect against this? I know I, there's not really anything you can do, right? I guess if the attacker has to have physical access maybe to the device, but... You know, it, it's, yeah. Uh, Microsoft warns partners to revoke unused authoriz authorizations that drive your software. Microsoft has told reseller, the reseller community that it needs to pay attention to the debut of its improved security tooling. Microsoft currently lets its resellers gain delegated administrative privileges, DAP, and lets them manage a customer's environment, services, software, subscriptions. If, uh, Customers have to authorize the partners before that feature will work. And if an attacker can secure the DAP access, it's bad for customers as it could allow access to their resources. But it's also bad for partners because ultimately they're on the hook for it, right? 
So this just creates kind of a, almost like a supply chain issue, right? If your, you know, your vendor has access to your systems, then they could get compromised and you could be fine, but then now they have access, especially at a higher level, right? Uh, Microsoft knows that DAP is not perfect, so it's going to replace it with granular delegated administrative privileges, GDAP. And uh, GDAP offers finer controls and a zero trust model. So if you're not familiar with, with what uh, zero trust is, basically it's the idea that you're assuming your network is already compromised. Traditionally, what happens is we assume that uh, all the controls need to be at the perimeter. So firewalls and things like that. And then inside of our network, we assume that it's secure. So that's the traditional way. This zero trust option or model, it validates every action. So there is no implied trust even inside of your network, which is just an additional security measure, but it assumes that attackers are already on your network, which they probably are. So it's it's kind of that next step, that next evolution of where your networks need to go. But Microsoft is adding it into some of their features, which is great to see. North Korean devs pose as U.S. freelancers to aid DRPK government hackers. The U.S. government is warning that the uh, Democratic People's Republic of Korea is dispatching its IT workers to get freelance jobs at companies across the world to obtain privileged access that's sometimes used to facilitate cyber intrusions. So it's no surprise that North Korea is trying to get into systems, into companies, things like that. Uh, this is actually a pretty interesting kind of technique, right? You get people to get hired at these companies, and then that that kind of goes to that insider threat idea, right? Where you have trusted trusted employees, and they have legitimate access as far as you're concerned. So they're not going to generate a lot of alerts or alarms or anything like that. And they're just going to have access and be able to do, you know, kind of what's within their privileges or within their permission rights. And, you know, everything's going to seem fine. So you have to monitor your user behavior. You have to really vet your employees. And that's, you know, definitely one thing that I would think with this is really important is, you know, really being careful with who you hire. You have to hire trusted people. You can't hire somebody who, you know, potentially has a lot of issues, especially with a highly sensitive job, like an IT job or a cybersecurity job, where there is typically a lot more access across the board than a normal user would have. Uh, an advisory from the U.S. Department of State, the U.S. Department of the Treasury, and the FBI provides red flag indicators for companies to protect against hiring or unwittingly enabling DPRK workers. So they're going to give you some ideas of what you should be looking for, some things to look for. And that's great that they're you know willing to help because obviously that does impact their job, their mission, and you know the people that they're protecting that they are serving and you know, again, it comes to sound hiring practices. You cannot hire people that have a bunch of issues in these highly sensitive and trusted positions. It's just going to be a bad idea, and it's not going to end up well for you in a lot of cases. Phishing attacks for initial access surged 54% in Q1. Threat actors doubled down on their use of phishing emails as an initial attack vector during the first quarter of 2022. 
In many cases, they then used that access to drop ransomware or to extort organizations in other ways. Researchers from Kroll recently analyzed data gathered from security incidents, and basically they said that 54% increase in incidents of phishing uh, for initial access compared to the same year. So a 54% increase. That's pretty substantial. Now, I'm not necessarily surprised just because with phishing in general, you know, there's been a lot of opportunities, a lot of things for these people to take advantage of, these attackers. And, you know, with um, all the the pandemic and everything like that, the Russia-Ukraine, Russian invasion of Ukraine, there's been a lot of things that these uh, these attackers can really go after and exploit in their their surge. But you know the thing with phishing emails in general is that when you go after end users, you know end users make mistakes. End users are not always the most technical people, and if they click a link, they go to a website, drop in their credentials, something like that. You know that happens, and Typically, you know, going after a, a user as far as being an attacker is a lot of times easier than going after some technology, especially if you can make it believable because the less technical the user, you just have to make it look believable. Do you remember what the browser in the browser attack was where you could just basically have an image in the browser that kind of looked like a real browser pop-up? You know, same kind of thing. It's just got to look real sometimes. Uh, Crypto news. U.S. issues charges in first criminal cryptocurrency sanctions case. Federal judge finds U.S. sanction laws apply to $10 million in Bitcoin sent by an American citizen to a country blacklisted by Washington. $10 million worth of Bitcoin to a virtual currency exchange in one of a handful of countries comprehensively sanctioned by the U.S. So Cuba, Iran, North Korea, Syria, or Russia. In the ruling, the judge called cryptocurrency's reputation for providing anonymity to users a myth. He added that while some legal experts argue that virtual monies such as Bitcoins, Ethereum, or Tether are not subject to U.S. sanction laws, because they're created and move outside the traditional financial system. Recent actions taken by the Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Assets Control require federal courts to find otherwise. So, you know, typically with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general, the whole idea has been, well, we can kind of, you know, avoid the whole financial system and the requirements, the laws that exist within the United States or whatever country. And we could just deal with Bitcoin, right? Deal in Bitcoin. Don't have to do taxes. Don't have to do all this stuff. Well, for instance, if you live in the United States, you've seen over the last several years that on your taxes every year, you start getting asked if you're dealing with Bitcoin or you know cryptocurrency, are you making transactions? Did you sell it? Did you buy it? And you know this is just increasing every year. Every year, it's becoming more and more monitored, and it's because it's more mainstream, right? People are using it more. It's more of a thing, and you know, eventually, in some form, it probably will have a big impact on our economy and how we do transactions and things like that, but 
you know, keep in mind, just because you're dealing with Bitcoin or cryptocurrency in general, you cannot side skirt the laws. It's just, it's not going to happen. They're going to come after you. And this is really, you know, this, this is kind of a monumental situation, a monumental case, because this should signal to a lot of people that, you know, this is going to happen. So you got to be careful. You can't, you can't do all the shady things that you might, may or may not have been doing with your cryptocurrency. So vulnerabilities. Uh, hackers are exploiting critical bugs in Zyxel firewalls and VPNs. Hackers have started to exploit a recently patched critical vulnerability, CVE 2022-30525, that affects Zyxel firewall and VPN devices. Successful exploitation allows a remote attacker to inject arbitrary commands remotely without authentication, which can enable setting up a reverse shell. Anytime attackers can run commands remotely, that's a bad, bad deal. That's a bad situation because, you know, whatever privileges that system has, it's going to be able to execute commands. That's why when you're setting up like web servers and things like that, you don't use the system account because... You know, th even though this is talking about firewalls and VPNs, if it has that super privileged account or privileged, you know, permissions access, then there's a lot of damage that can be done. And then with uh, networking appliances, you know, that controls your backbone of how you get out to the internet, how you connect to your network and do all this other stuff. So that's a serious issue if you're using Zyxel firewall firewalls and VPNs. Intel memory bug poses risk for hundreds of products. So chipmaker Intel is reporting a memory bug impacting microprocessor firmware used in hundreds of products. If you're not familiar with what Intel is, Intel makes a lot of the chips that are in your computer. And anytime there's an issue with your hardware, especially like your processor, like Intel or AMD, that's a really, really bad situation. And, you know, these are typically pretty severe uh, and pretty critical things that you need to fix. This does have a CVSS of seven, so it's not quite up there at the top, but that is, you know, definitely high enough to where you should be uh, paying attention to it. Let's see here. April VMware bugs abused to deliver uh, Mirai malware exploit log for uh, shell. So researchers say that a GitHub proof of concept exploitation of recently announced VMware bugs is being abused by hackers in the wild. Reportedly, uh, VMware bugs are being used by hackers who are forcing uh, are forced on using them to deliver denial of service malware and exploit log four shell, uh, log four shell vulnerabilities. So uh, VMware, that's another, you know, another vendor that is really everywhere and you have to fix these issues you have to patch them you have to do what the fixes are uh, barracuda researchers analyzed the attacks and payloads detected by barracuda systems from april to may and found that a steady steamer stream of attempts to exploit two recently discovered vulnerabilities cve 2022 uh, 22954 and cve 2022 22960 those are VMware vulnerabilities. Best way to fix it, install your patches. Especially if there's an internet uh, facing and to, uh, system and to place a web application firewall in front of such systems. 
So pretty typical stuff. Patch your systems and put a firewall in front of this device if you have it. Two vulnerabilities with 9.8 severity ratings are under exploit. Malicious hackers, some are believed to be nation state backed, are exploiting these vulnerabilities with the hopes of infecting sensitive enterprise networks. The ongoing attacks, what are they targeting? Surprise, surprise, VMware and big IP software from F5. These are both vulnerabilities that we've heard about before. Uh, I just talked about the VMware vulnerabilities, but we've definitely talked about the F5 vulnerabilities in previous episodes. So, you know, these both, uh, both these vulnerabilities give attackers the ability to execute remote commands or code. Think about that. Again, that's a big deal. Anytime an attacker can execute commands or code, right? Maybe I can't execute commands, but I can execute all this code. You know, either way, that's really, really bad. And, um, you know, you need to patch. You need to look at the vendor's recommendations on how to fix this or how to at least mitigate it. Cyber careers. SIA opens women in uh, security scholarship applications. The Security Industry Association, SIA, has opened applications for the 2022 uh, SIA Women in Security Forum Scholarship, an initiative led by SIA Women in Security Forum. So if you're interested, make sure that you check that out. Make sure that you apply, get those scholarships. That helps, you know, learn for free. That's always a good thing. And then you get networking opportunities too. ISC Squared offer 100,000 free entry-level cybersecurity certification exams. ISC Squared uh, announced that they're going to offer these certifications in uh, the UK to help them expand their cybersecurity workforce. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see something like this come through to like the United States or you know something kind of similar. But you know, again, this is trying to get people into cybersecurity. I think with ISC Squared 2, this is a new certification that they have. If you're not familiar with it. It's really geared towards the entry-level person. You know, it's the entry-level cybersecurity certification. Uh, but it really, you know, they're, they're trying to definitely uh, boost its recognition. I mean, ISC Squared is a known body for certifications. And this just came out not too long ago. So um, definitely keep your eyes on this one. But again, it's great to see scholarships being given out because at least people are going to get educated. People are going to be, you know, better prepared, hopefully for cybersecurity careers. And, you know, hopefully we can close this talent gap or this uh, this gap of opportunity with all these cybersecurity jobs opening up. Uh, let's see here, what, what else do we have that's of importance here? This one's kind of interesting. So doctor accused of being prolific ransomware developer. U.S. authorities have accused 55-year-old doctor of developing, selling, and renting out ransomware to cyber criminals worldwide. So during the day, he's helping out and, you know, making sure that you're not sick. And then at night, he's turning around and selling off ransomware. Nice. This, this is just, okay. He's accused of developing the Jigsaw version 2 variant, which features a doomsday counter that completely erases a victim's hard drive if they fail, uh, try and fail to get rid of the malware too many times. Savage. That is okay. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, the remote wipe or the, um, the wipe feature like on your cell phones. If you try the password too many times and then it wipes the device, right? But uh, that's all right. That's pretty, uh, yeah. 
Uh, Zagla is also linked, which is the uh, the doctor, is also linked to a ransomware as a service offering, uh, Thanos, which allows clients to customize it and then use or rent it out to others. Affiliates were given access to the ransomware as a service builder in return for a share of the profits from any subsequent attacks, the DOJ said, which is Department of Justice in the United States. So again, you know, anybody can be a developer, right? Doctors, uh, teachers, you know, whatever, I guess, uh, law enforcement, right? Um, but this guy, he's, you know, he's not making enough being a doctor. He's got to go then be this, you know, bad guy and make malicious software. It's like, why not just take some time and make something that will actually help people? You know, like, those seem so counterintuitive, right? Like, he's helping people on, during the day, and then he's turning around and, you know, hurt, hurting the same people probably. So not, uh, not really a good, um, you know, good situation. Uh, and then the last article here, we have wizard spider hackers hire cold callers to scare ransomware victims into paying up. So today's more sophisticated criminal operations, whether purely for profit or working for state interest, as with many advanced persistent groups, often operate business style models. So I want you to think about this, right? These bad groups, these attackers, they are not necessarily these unorganized units that you might think they are, right? When you think about crime, sometimes you think about uh, people that get caught, how they're very unorganized. Well, a lot of these organizations, we'll call them, are getting rather sophisticated and they're trying to get better and better you know, over time, they're trying to improve their tooling, their processes, you know, all of these things. I mean, these, this group, this, <laughs> this group is hiring cold callers to, to validate, you know, their, their ransomware uh, workflow, right? Like they're, you're using them to talk to victims. I mean, that's, it's, it's bad, right? Because, you know, they're obviously doing bad things, but it is interesting because you have to look at it like they're operating as a business. And the more they operate like a business, the more sophisticated things can get. I mean, you've seen other organized crime you know, institutions or uh, organizations that have existed over, over time, over history. And, you know, typically the more uh, coordinated that they can get, the harder it is sometimes to take them down because they can pivot and they can, you know, shift into other things. And it's, you know, it, it's getting a little bit scary uh, how good some of these groups are getting. But, um, you know, just keep, keep that in mind that that is a thing. So, but uh, that is all the articles for this week. Again, this was the weekly recap on cybersecurity TLDR for May 15th, 2022 to May 21st, 2022. If you're watching this on YouTube, I appreciate it. Go ahead and hit the thumbs up to like this video as well as making sure that you subscribe. And then if you are watching this uh, or listening to this rather on podcasting platforms, Spotify, iTunes, you know, we're on all the major platforms. And I appreciate it as well. Make sure you follow, make sure you subscribe, make sure you leave a review. And with that being said, that is all that we have for this week. So thank you for joining and I'll see you next week.